Hi, this is Gary Meese coming to you again with the case against a continuing look at the West Memphis 3 case. I'm going to look today at uh, the travesty known as Paradise Lost 3. And honestly, there's much more that we could we could go into about this, uh, and I intend to do so at some point. But we're going to mostly be taking a look at the reactions from the people who were most victimized by Paradise Lost Three. This is from my book, Where the Monsters Go, the second volume in a two-volume set. The first volume is. Blood on Black. Um, they're both available on Amazon and Kindle and print formats. There's also a, a combined version called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. It's combined, condensed, somewhat revised. Arguably an easier read, a better read, not as complete. That's about half the half the size, so I things are cut out, so it's not as complete, but uh, it's complete enough. It's a more complete version than you'll find any place else of the case against the West Memphis Three Killers. Um, and um, we'll just start off with. Well, I'm just going to start off reading today. So, uh, well, the second Paradise Lost movie, as well as the Devil's Knot book, unfailingly pointed to John Mark Byers as an alternative suspect. The third Paradise Lost documentary predictably found a new alternative suspect in Terry Hobbs. And this particular alternative suspect theory is based largely, almost solely, on a single hair found in a, a knot in a shoelace and on Hobbs' less-than-precise recall many years later of the evening of May 5, 1993. And the crime we're speaking of are, are, are the deaths of Christopher Byers, Michael Moore, and Stevie Branch at the hands of Jason Baldwin, Damian Eccles, Jesse Miskelly Jr. on May 5, 1993 in West Memphis, Arkansas. With the surprise release of The Killers on August 19, 2011, the producers of the third HBO documentary, Paradise Lost Purgatory, scrambled to incorporate new footage into the final product, which was had been scheduled to air in November 2011. The final movie in the series, which was directed like the first two Paradise Lost films by Joe Berlinger and the late <coughs> Bruce Sinofsky aired on HBO on January 12, 2012. Uh, the movie was nominated for an Emmy and nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. Oscar nominations prompted parents of the West Memphis Three victims to write two letters to the Academy of Motion Pictures Picture Arts and Sciences, 
Now, these letters were remarkable in their expression of the deep pain and injustice inflicted upon these families by these filmmakers. And contrary to the myths perpetuated by the supporter community, most of the parents of the three boys have continued to believe the killers were properly convicted and now believe they were improperly released. While wisely eschewing most media outlets and public appearances, uh, Todd Moore has been particularly outspoken about the guilt of his son's killers. Uh, there was a letter from Todd and Dana Moore on November 22, 2011, reiterated the irrefutable legal guilt of the West Memphis Three and described the horrific death of little Michael, quote, the joy of our lives, unquote. Now, the Moors are now divorced, just so we're understood, but they're, they're I haven't inquired about this lately, but they were they were uh, communicating back and forth, at least certainly about this case uh, in a very uh, amicable and supportive fashion, I, I gather, from what I understand. So they certainly were both on board with this letter back in 2011. And they wrote... We implore the Academy not to reward our child's killers and the directors who have profited from one of the greatest frauds ever perpetuated under the guise of a documentary film. The Moors described the film trilogy as a cruel hoax, simply tasted tabloid entertainment presented as social commentary and cynical and exploitative deception. They described how the filmmakers had betrayed their trust and they recalled their, quote, shock and disgust when the first film opened with gruesome and gratuitous images of the crime scene, unquote. The later letter described how Berlinger and Sanofsky paid John Mark Byers to participate in what they called contrived confrontations with Damien Eccles supporters, which ultimately let brought suspicions of guilt upon buyers. They said HBO had ignored their complaint about the treatment of buyers because, quote, because the falsehoods proved lucrative. On January 24th, 2012, Todd Moore, Dana Moore, Steve Branch Sr., and Terry Hobbs, if you're keeping track, that's four parents, sent another open letter to the Academy protesting the nomination. The letter containing, continuing the scathing attack on the film and its makers read in part, Despite the spin and controversy fabricated by defense attorneys, documentary filmmakers, and celebrities, certain aspects of the past 18 years are irrefutable. Three precious eight-year-old boys went for a bicycle ride on May 5th, 1993 and never came home. They were murdered in a most vicious and horrifying manner. Jesse Miskelly has admitted to taking part in these terrible crimes three times on record and at least three additional times off the record. Uh, he described in detail how he and his two co-defendants, Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin, beat, tortured, and mutilated the boys, 
hog-tied them, and threw them into a muddy ditch to drown. This is irrefutable. Miskelly admitted to witnessing and partaking in these horrendous acts several times. Also indisputable is the fact that two juries found the three men, known as the West Memphis Three, guilty of these crimes and that the Arkansas Supreme Court upheld these verdicts as just. The West Memphis Three, 18 years later, remain guilty of these murders as a matter of fact, as a matter of law and a matter of fact. They have failed to gain exoneration despite being given the opportunity to do so, <coughs> an opportunity that few convicts in their position are granted. They were given an arguably undeserved second chance to prove their innocence, and they declined, choosing instead to plead guilty to the murders. Again, this is irrefutable. They now claim to be, quote, searching for the real killers of their sons, but it seems unlikely they will be able to do so while directing movies, traveling the globe, and partying with rock stars. Our sons, meanwhile, remain dead in their graves. They go on. Director Joe Berlinger aptly referred to himself as a storyteller first, a journalist second. An accurate description given the fable he has conjured. Berlinger decided within five minutes of meeting Damien Eccles that he was innocent and immediately set out upon a mission to prove it, truth and facts be damned. The fabricated innocence of the defendants made for a better documentary, and they put documentary in quotes, than the truth that these three teenagers killed our children for nothing more than a sick thrill. Directors Berlinger and Sanofsky lied to grieving parents. They have callously accused not one, not, but two grieving parents of their own son's murders. They manipulated viewers into believing that these trials were a witch hunt, showing only very carefully selected snippets of trial testimony. The trials of our son's murders lasted 22 days. Despite having over 140 hours of footage in their possession, Berlinger and Sonofsky ultimately showed viewers less than one hour of trial footage and led viewers to the false conclusion that there was no evidence produced that the three defendants were guilty. They neglected to include virtually all of the evidence against the defendants. Despite the celebrity and financial support garnered by these films, even an estimated 10 to $20 million could not produce the exculpatory evidence that Berlinger, Sanofsky, high-profile defense attorneys, and the defendants themselves insisted exist. Paradise Lost 3, Purgatory, glosses over the irrefutable fact that the defendants themselves requested the Alfred plea and chose instead to portray the situation as if the defendants were forced to plead guilty. The truth is that the defendants were given the opportunity to present their case for innocence, 
but four months prior to the evidentiary hearing, they requested that the court allow them the opportunity to plead guilty instead. After 18 years proclaiming their alleged innocence, these men were given the chance to prove that they did not kill our children, and they declined. Perhaps this was because their attorneys knew that sufficient exculpatory evidence does not exist. These films glorified child murders and made them stars. Worse yet, they had a direct impact on the release of our son's killers. These admittedly guilty defendants are now free to profit from the horrible, unthinkable, tragic deaths of our sons, just as Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sinoski have done before them. Paradise Lost 3, Purgatory, blatantly misrepresented the truth, staged scenes, contrived confrontations, distorted the facts, and lied by omission. Even crueler, these films had a direct impact in the reversal of justice for our precious sons. The filmmakers callously regarded the families of Michael Moore, Stevie Branch Jr., and Christopher Byers. This film should be exposed as a fraud, not rewarded with an Academy Award nomination. That's the end of their statement here. Predictably, the Academy rebuffed the heartfelt plea of grieving parents in favor of the filmmakers. Uh, uh, They didn't win the Oscar, but that's, you know, they didn't win the Oscar. We'll say that much. A fourth documentary, West of Memphis, released in December 2012 after the release of The Killers, also focused on Hobbs as the chief alternative suspect. Produced by Damien Eccles and Lord of the Rings director and longtime supporter Peter Jackson, and directed by Amy J. Berg, West of Memphis made only $310,154,000 at the box office. But it did receive excellent reviews. And, you know, I, I, at some point in the future, I'm going to... Uh, go into an in-depth analysis of the deception of this particular film. I didn't do it here. A dramatized version of the case, based on the Devil's Knot book by Marl Everett, did not fare much better at the box office. The book was turned into a poorly received movie in 2013, made by acclaimed Canadian filmmaker Atom Egoyan. Colin Firth and Reese Witherspoon starred. So, you know, they had fairly, they had named stars and a, an acclaimed director at the helm. And uh, what happened there, to a large extent, was they had a story that might have been a lot more interesting, but... Uh, Jason Baldwin was involved in this particular production while Damien was involved Damien Eccles was involved in West of Memphis well Damien was quite upset about his portrayal as it was coming out in in, uh, Devil's Knot and made his unhappiness known and they altered his portrayal to toned it down so that he looks less malevolent Less threatening, one assumes. Less guilty, in other words. 
that film jettisoned much of the driving theme of the book, which were the unfounded suspicions about Mark Byers, to spread suspicion on other possible alternative suspects, especially Terry Hobbs. The $15 million movie made about $2 million at the box office. So it was a bust. And, it, you know, honestly, it's a, it's a boring, terrible movie. Uh, the prosecution in the West Memphis Three case consistently has expressed its satisfaction that the parties responsible were convicted and served time for their crimes. There has been no admission of prosecutorial wrongdoing, no admission of miscarriage of justice, no exoneration, no credible evidence presented that anyone except Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly killed Michael, Christopher, and Stevie. Meanwhile, the heartbreak of the boy's parents has found little relief. Melissa Byers and uh, Christopher Byers' mother in poor health and in the grips of drug addiction died believing her son's killers were rightly convicted, but that knowledge brought little relief for her. Her husband, Mark, brought years of suffering upon himself by allowing the filmmakers to exploit his need for money and attention. Uh, after... Uh, 2007, 2008, roughly in that era, Mark Byers began blaming when the DNA evidence came out about the the hair that's allegedly tied to Terry Hobbs, which can't really even be, t nobody could even say it came from Terry Hobbs definitively. And if it did, it's, it's explainable as secondary transfer. It's very weak evidence. It would not. It wouldn't pass muster with a grand jury. It would be laughed out of court if it made it that far, and nobody's going to be arrested on that basis. You got to have something more than that. You got to have something more like what they had on Damian Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miskelly Jr. Uh, but uh, Mark Byers continued to blame uh, Terry Hobbs. For the killings, this was based on less evidence than was presented against him back when he was the favorite alternative suspect. And uh, Mark Byers died this summer in a traffic accident. Uh, it's hard not to believe that the it was a one-car accident. It's hard not to believe that the his, the circumstances surrounding his death. Uh, he wasn't supposed to be driving a car, but he was driving a car. Uh, it wasn't his car to drive. Uh, he was apparently going way too fast on a hazardous road, and he was trying to get home to get to his, ox his supplemental oxygen. It's, it's hard not to believe that his death more or less... <laughs> Was I, I can't say it was caused by the death of his son, but certainly the circumstances continued to pile up for Mark Byers over the years. And until, uh, you know, he, he eventually died under really tragic circumstances. And he's ultimately a very, he's one of the tragic figures in all this. He, you could certainly say he never 
really recovered from the death of his son and from all the subsequent uh, abuse from Sumnovsky and Berlinger that he was subjected to. Uh, he had a, a, a brief a brief moment there for a couple of years where he was able to proclaim somebody else was the, uh, the, the real killer, and, it, and he got a lot of pats on the back for that, and that's probably his high point. But there's got to be, on some level, he had to have some doubts. Surely. Now, a little noted figure in the case because he really is just he has a very much a peripheral role. But uh, Christopher Christopher Byers did have a biological father. John Mark Byers was his adoptive father, and uh, Christopher's biological father was Ricky Lee Murray. He stated in the year 2000, he believed Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly were innocent. And his rationale was that he didn't think the three were insane and it would take an insane person to commit the crime. Uh, Murray, who did not figure prominently in the case, died in (coughs) October 2013 at age 52 of lung cancer. Uh, there was a Facebook page urging the exoneration of the West Memphis Three uh, that I saw at the time I wrote this. I looked for it today and I simply couldn't find it. Maybe it's there and I just don't see it. Um, I, I, I have no reason to think that he or his family members have a different opinion now than they did. He would have had a different opinion after he, up to the point of his death. I mean, that his family members were saying he felt the West Memphis Three should be exonerated up until the time of his death. Let's take that as a given, and um, there, you know, there's no indication that his family members have changed their mind about whatever their position was from 2013. Um, I'll say that Terry Hobbs continues to live under constant unwarranted suspicion. And it was exacerbated this spring by uh, Bob Ruff and his pathetic, moronic, special on the West Memphis Three on the Oxygen Channel and in the uh, special on A&E was a little bit better <laughs> in terms of it was it was just the, it was pretty much the same old standard stuff but it didn't it, it also gave a very misleading idea about as is always the case nothing there was nothing absolutely nothing original in that I mean, there was originality in Ruff's presentation. It was all buffoonery, but it was original. Uh, there was nothing original in the A&E uh, presentation, including the accusations against Hobbs. Uh, but Terry Hobbs, in many respects, does seem to have come to terms with the death and its tragic aftermath. He's continued to work. 
He seems to be in good spirits quite a bit. Uh, you know, hate on him all you want to, people. He doesn't really particularly care that much. I mean, he doesn't like it that people have that attitude toward him, but it's really not his problem as far as he's concerned, apparently. And he seems to be at enjoying life. I'm sure he has his low moments. He uh, he and uh, Vicki Edwards, his cousin, she, as the accredited author and and I do believe she organized his materials and basically wrote the book. Uh, wrote a book about his uh, experiences uh, that came out within the last year or so. I'm trying to remember the name of it now. A box full of... I read the book and I liked it. Um, I'll, I'll get it in a second. Uh, Pam Hobbs Hicks, grief over her son, has brought her a tortured and troubled life. At times, she has seemed to think the West Memphis Three killed her son. At other times, she has not been so sure. She apparently has found no peace and no closure. This was true when I wrote this back four or five years ago. It seems to be still true. She was interviewed by Bob Ruff and... Uh, I got the same impression I've always got, which she's just simply seems to be at sea with all this. She's had her share of legal problems. She's had, without dwelling on it too much, she's had her share of uh, drug and alcohol problems. And I think we, I think it's fair to say she deserves at least our sympathy for some of that. Um, most of all, the peace, the, she's found no peace, and the pain felt by Dana Moore, by Todd Moore, by Stevie Branch Sr., and by, is continuing, and it's, in, and it's evident in their letters to the Academy. Terry Hobbs, at times expresses his, inappropriate times expresses his grief over the loss of his stepson. And he was quite incensed when somebody had marked up their, uh, the Breeding Grove Memorial at Weaver Elementary in West Memphis a year or two ago. Um, totally uncalled for and really silly. Now, I'm gonna try to find that I'm going to try to find that book title. And, I, you know, it's embarrassing sometimes, the stuff that just falls out of my head. You know, when I've... Box Full of Nightmares. Terry Hobbs' personal memoirs on the West Memphis Three. And I will mention that that's also available on Amazon and Kindle. And let's make sure it's still in print. Kindle in print format. <clears throat> I'm not, you know, I'm not getting a paid advertisement from Vicki Edwards or Terry Hobbs, but I will say if you're interested in the case, it's it's a, a, a very worthy read. And if you'll keep your mind open, you should come away with at least some sympathy for Terry Hobbs and the rest of his family. Um, and with that said, I'm going to 
uh, sign off for this time. I skipped over a longer chapter concerning the occult influences I, that are discernible in this case, uh, partially because I wasn't sure my throat was up to going for as long as I would need to go to cover some 20 pages or so about that. And also because I think I just may do it uh, toward, after I've covered all the hard facts in the case, I'm going to go into that. Because to me, it's, it's a little softer, um, softer in the sense that it's on the verge of being speculative, even though it's informed by, it is informed by facts. And it's not just made up stuff. And I'm not trying to press a particular theory about the case because there's some things I think are unknown. But I do think it needs to be made clear that there are some things that are distinct possibilities. And one of the distinct possibilities is that uh, the influences that Damien Eccles was working under then and continues to work under, in fact, that basically consumes his whole life, very, very, very likely had some effect on this crime, on, it, on plans for its commission and for how it was carried out. There was a ritualistic aspect to the crime. And it fit fit in very well with uh, certain occult concepts that most people wouldn't be aware of. But Eccles, who claimed to know everything about the occult at the time, I, there's no way he did. It's not no person knows. It's a huge subject, but uh, he certainly knew a lot. Uh, you could probably travel, go to every trailer park in the entire United States back in 1993, and you would be hard-pressed to find another kid who knew more about the occult than Damien Eccles at that particular time. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to get into that, but I'm, I'm going to wrap up the other uh, harder fact narrative in the case before I get back to that. And, and I do have some uh, supplemental materials I'm going to get into when I finish the book, which I should do in two or three or four more episodes. It won't be two. It's probably three or four more episodes, depending on how things go. And uh, until then, uh, wishing you well. Stay safe. Uh, and once again, this is Gary Meese with The Case Against. The books are Blood on Black. Where the Monsters Go in the Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. Thank you.